Is it time to walk your dog, but you just don't feel like yourself these days? Are you a woman over the age of 35 and are having an array of baffling symptoms? Well, check out Morphous. It's a company started by two women who are in perimenopause and menopause that just want to help other women in this phase of life. They have a podcast, Menopause Reimagined, and a comprehensive website, wearemorphous.com, with amazing products that provide relief. If you're struggling with any of the over 102 possible symptoms, Check them out. You are not alone in this. Visit wearemorphous.com. That's W E A R E M O R P H U S.com. Does your dog do? Well, answering this question today is the fantastic Meredith May. I can't even begin to tell you how much I enjoyed her book, Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be Brave. Let me tell you a little bit about Meredith. Meredith May is the author of The Honey Bus and was previously an award-winning journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle. She is also the co-author of I Who Did Not Die and is a fifth-generation beekeeper. She lives in Carmel Valley, California with her wife, Jen, and golden retriever, Edie. All right, Meredith, does your dog do... Does your dog like to hump her donut bed? That's what mine does. <laughs> and she's female. <laughs> and I don't know why she she just has this one bed in particular she loves and she she's my dog is very ritualistic. So uh, we usually wind down at the end of the day. We sit in the living room, have a glass of wine, and then she's got a captive audience. And then she hops on her bed and goes in circles around and around and just has the time of her life. And we, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's her thing. And um, that's what she likes to do. But it's always like between five and six. Um, it's always a crowd pleaser. Uh, but, I bet. you know, we've learned to not be embarrassed by it. You know, it makes her happy. And uh, whatever makes my anxious dog happy, I'm fully behind. Oh, of course. How old is Edie now? She will be five in the fall. Oh, nice. I also ask every guest this question. When did your love of dogs begin? That would be when I was a little girl living with my grandpa. So five or six, um, you know, we... I. Because of uh, our family broke up, uh, I moved in with my grandparents at that age. So he always had a little dachshund at his heels. And um, I just remember, you know, how much he loved Rita and then Tina. And uh, that um, dachshund would hop in his work truck when he'd go check his bees. And I think I just uh, latched on right then to having a little buddy. Yeah, there is something so special about it. In the prologue in Loving Edie, you write, quote, for half a century, fear has been my life coach, motivating me to squeeze every drop out of each day. And all of this time, I've yet to break a bone or scare myself beyond my limit. Fear has never betrayed me until it did, until my fearlessness was consumed by one tiny, helpless golden retriever puppy who was very, very scared. And the more I read about Edie, I kept thinking, does he have sensory processing disorder like my mom had? Or is he on the spectrum like my daughter? I definitely think Edie is on the dog spectrum. I mean, that's not something that's widely accepted or talked about by vets. 
um, because she is definitely super sensitive to stimulation. I, I was trying to figure out what is the thing that sends her into orbit because it seems like everything does. And I finally settled down on she does not like commotion in a 360 around her head of any kind, like sound, traffic, people, wind, weather. Um, she needs she needs to assess every threat and decide that it's okay before moving on. And if there's more than one happening, she, she has a meltdown. So, and I, I have friends who have um, children who uh, have disabilities or mental disabilities of different kinds or on the spectrum, neurodiverse. Neuro, and, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think, Definitely. We've, we've compared my dog and their children. And I don't mean to say my dog is anywhere near as um, much uh, responsibility as a child and being a real parent. But I, we do find odd similarities. Like my dog has an issue with doorways, passageways. Like she doesn't go through them until she's sat there and thought about it for a while. Yeah you know, is, is outside better or inside better? And a friend of mine, um, who's been to a class for autistic children said they were doing a whole exercise about doorways for the kids because they had the same issue. And so they made a fun game and put the child in these like stretchy sacks and, uh, pulled them through the doorway, like a, like a, like a train and they loved it. But, but if they have to decide on their own in this class, it was really, um, it just it it was too too difficult. So we did. I just see these weird, odd. Maybe I'm making more into it. I don't know. But I I've come to learn that like she thinks differently than any dog I've ever had, and I just have to let her do that and not try to correct it. So the long answer is okay. yes. I th- I think that definitely um, in the future vets and dog owners will be having more conversations about their dogs as, as we are just finally starting to do about our children and accepting them as yes. uh, alternative, not defective. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think for people listening, they probably are thinking, well, maybe she, you know, was, uh, had a bad home prior or et cetera, but no, she was a puppy. So talk to us a little bit about how you got Edie. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked that all the time. Was she a rescue? Um, and you know, someone once told me, yeah, she was, you rescued, you rescued her from a breeder. Um, which is interesting. Uh, I have had three goldens. Edie is my third. Uh, the first one, uh, was a rescue. The second one, I got a breeder. They were both wonderful dogs and Edie, I also got at a breeder, but I did no research on who this person was. This person was breeding in San Francisco, which is not allowed in San Francisco, which I kind of knew but didn't care. I just wanted a puppy so badly. My wife had made me slow down and wait, so it had been a year since I'd lost my previous golden. So I was frantically wanting a puppy and really pushing for it. And I waited until I got my wife in a really good mood. We'd just gone on a trip to New Zealand and, um, 
the breeder I had been talking with on the phone had three females left and uh, but people were on their way to come see them possibly and we just raced to get there saw the puppies and both chose this the one we liked and that was it so um it was impulsive yet planned i guess right you know um and and we took her home and we didn't ask any questions i mean the breeder did say do you want to see the parents and they were in the backyard and i just sort of glanced at them and said great okay let's go i was more like i didn't want the other people who were coming to see us there and i was just rushing to get out of there and get my puppy you know, I was, yeah. I was lost in emotion about it. Oh, I could totally understand. I mean, you write in the book that you felt like you had a limb missing when you let, lost your golden retriever, Stella. I write about this a little bit in the book. Um, and it sort of points to my first memoir, was, which was all about my childhood and about why I was raised by my beekeeper grandfather. And um, I think for me and and maybe for other people who uh grew up without parents by their side the loyalty of a dog fills some kind of hole you know and it, and for me it is necessary it's not it's not just um you know fun you know i i i really you know to have that dog always be there and always love you and be so excited every morning like parade of one around the bed. All right, it's Thursday, you know, just like this <laughs> constant positivity and want and loving to be with you really kind of soothes a lot of that, you know, childhood stuff we carry inside. And so, yeah, for me, I really, um, it, it's necessary. I will always have a dog. I just know that about myself. I want to talk a little bit about your childhood because it really shapes who you are, how you are, just, just like you described, you're going to always need a dog. And your mother was depressed. And when I was reading the book, I thought, well, why isn't anyone doing it? She's depressed, but she just lays in the bed all the time and she's not taking care of her kids. And then it was so interesting. I want to give it away, but reading about your grandmother and then sort of her kind of feeling like, well, I have to make it up to my daughter. I'm just going to let her just, I'm just going to take care of her. I'm going to do what I didn't do. But then in essence, then your mom, but that's not letting your mom be your mom. Right. So correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. My um, my parents split when in 75 and I was five and we were living in Rhode Island at the time because my dad was in the Navy. And uh, so my mom just picked up. My mom was really volatile, um, very. She would throw things. She would scream. Um, I just remember chaos in Rhode Island. And she, uh, one night just woke up me and my younger brother and we got on a plane and we flew to our grandparents' house in California and moved in. And so she kind of returned to her childhood bedroom and took to bed. She just kind of slipped into this marathon melancholy. So I shared a bed with her and my brother slept in a cot at the foot of our bed. And that was just how it was. And mom never mentioned my father's name again actually none of the adults around us did and i i thought we were just visiting but we'd become like these quasi orphans and so my grandmother who was a fifth grade school teacher she worked full time and then on the weekends and afternoons she would take care of my mother so she became kind of like my mother's nursemaid enabler really 
Um, yes. And so we gravitated toward my grandpa and hung out with him. And, and thank goodness, because he's a wonderful oh. man. And uh, he would take us beekeeping with him and give us life lessons by talking to us about bees and how they solve problems and love one another. And so that was great. But my the, the deal that was going on with my grandmother is uh, she, you know, it, she was from an era where you save face and you, and you hide family problems from the public and you pretend everything's fine. And it was also a time when uh, we didn't even use words like uh, PTSD or depression, you know, like women, women were seen as hysterical going to a therapist meant you were crazy. You know, there was just no, no um, mental health awareness. This was the seventies. And, um, so, and my grandmother felt bad for my mother because uh, my grandmother's first husband, my mom's dad, was physically and, and verbally abusive to my mom. And my grandmother hadn't done anything to uh, protect my mother. So now she was overprotecting my mother. And so it was like I, I had a sister, not a mother anymore. Yeah, like my mom reverted to childhood. That's, that's the, that's the dealio. That's why I like dogs. <laughs> yeah, I love dogs. I think back about my childhood and my mom had uh, really bad sensory issues. And in fact, everyone says, oh, you're just hysterical, Diane, like the same mm -hmm. as in the 70s. And I just think how much better off me and my siblings would have been if we had a dog. Mm -hmm. It just, I think it could really help. And, and that was interesting with your wife, Jen. Oh my gosh, her childhood, mm -hmm. really difficult and horrific. And her stepfather and the animals. And I can see why she didn't want to get a dog. Right. My, um, my wife, um, was, when I met her, um, her career, she was a Lieutenant in San Francisco police and she's just a really, uh, and she, she's a, you know, she's petite, you know, so she's in a, in a male environment that's very, requires strength physically and mentally. And, you know, she was in charge of a bunch of men in San Francisco and very well respected. I just really admired her. She ran marathons um, and she had broken her leg as a, as a five-year-old after being hit oh, by a yes. car. And, yeah. you know, she, um, she's just an incredibly quietly strong person. And she reminds me so much of my grandfather in that way. And so I just gravitated to her. And, um, you know, this, my first memoir, The Honey Bus, was all about me, but this one was, had her childhood in it too. It's about our relationship and how we dealt with this anxious dog together, but the way we came at it uh, was different. And she, I, she, she could have written a whole memoir about her childhood. It's, oh, yes. She was raised by hippie parents who uh sort of the back to the land movement who left society and went uh to live on 60 acres on a uh, a mountain in Humboldt with a bunch of other people who were just off the grid no electricity no plumbing and her she went there with her mother and her stepfather as a as a little girl and the stepfather was you know, uh, a singer, um, that's, a, I don't think had a job, uh, sold marijuana as one does in Humboldt, but, um, you know, and it, and he was just 
moody uh, substance abuser, and you know he uh, was very cruel and uh, made her do a lot of. He was building them a cabin and made her do a lot of a lot of work, like digging fire lines and building foundation, and like this is a small girl like doing physical labor, and um, she would bring stray pets home sometimes, and he would inevitably get irritated by them and they would disappear and you know under these like vague circumstances but sometimes not so vague and um I'll leave it at that (laughs) yes yeah I thought it was interesting too that you both because of your childhoods you didn't want to be mothers or didn't feel like you could be mothers you didn't get the dog so you could help it and then it 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 was a big reversal for you not that you didn't take care of your dog but you know what I mean I mean you you write about that more eloquently than I'm explaining it no you're you nailed it on the head is you know I in in you know looking back on this I am so glad Edie came into our lives because she pulled me out of being the victim she pulled me out of being the one that needed comfort that needed the dog there for me you know that sort of woke me up that this this isn't the Meredith show all the time you know yeah and and she showed me that um I do have a maternal bone in there somewhere I am fiercely protective of my dog you know and and I you know when I take her on walks she can walk in a handful of places that she's grown accustomed to and had lots of practice with uh, you know, people automatically, especially a golden retriever, you know, they're the sweet breed, right? They come up with their hands outstretched and I have to tell them, please stop. Don't do that. I have a, I have a fearful dog, you know? Um, so I get right out there and, and if people don't listen to me, I'm going to, I'm going to say back off, you know, like, good. So I, she has taught me like kind of, I was sort of grinning at what you said. It's like, still have a kid I, I think I could do you know like I'm you yeah. should, so she got me out of that assumption that I would behave the way my mother did if I had a human child which makes me feel better about myself I think um so now I am uh, a super auntie I have oh, six nice. nieces and nephews and I spoil them as much as I can and uh, I'm auntie May May and that is my job. So, um, yeah. And Edie taught me that. I think if I'd had another easy, a third easy dog, I would still be a little bit of the selfish boob that I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the funniest thing anyone's ever said to me. The selfish boob. I'm not this. I think you need a bumper sticker. I'm not the selfish, selfish boob, boob I used to be. <laughs> Read my book. Loving Edie and find out why. Oh, I'm you can get a shirt made up with that. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get into this. So this is, you know, people think, well, what are you talking about? How sensitive? Okay, so we we under, you know, it sounds like sensory issues and anxiety. You, you know, to not be able to walk your dog mm-hmm. because of a bark, even just a car driving by. A fire hydrant. A fire, yeah. Tell us like yeah. give us these yeah. deeds. But again, I want people to read the book. So Yes. Um, well, we first noticed something was wrong when we took her to a puppy play date. She was like 10 months old and we took her to the SPCA and, you know, they, when it was time to take all the dogs off their leashes, they all run to the center to play with each other. My dog is like making a beeline for the corner and drooling and trembling and just terrified. 
And I have never seen a puppy afraid of other puppies. Like that's the whole point of putting puppies together because they just innately love it. And uh, so I thought, oh, hell, something's really wrong. And so we we put her in a a puppy class. It was really hard to get her through the front door. It took us a few visits, but finally she's able to go to a puppy class with four other dogs that she would see each time and got to know, but it was not easy. And as part of puppy class, you teach them how to walk on a leash. And we tried just going around the block, four blocks uh, at our house. And inevitably something would happen. She would freeze. Her body would turn to wood and she'd turn and pull for home. And that something could be a bag blowing on the wind a car, a garage door opening, a bird, a plane, a motorcycle, anything, like even something loud, but even something like she wouldn't walk by a fire hydrant one time. And it was so bizarre. And then a few times, and I kept, I kept thinking, okay, something's wrong, but she'll grow out of it. It's, it's like a severe case of puppy fear. So I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. And I took her off leash at a park one time and she heard a loud gunshot from the police academy nearby. And she went running almost for a cliff. And, you know, it's just she ran into traffic one time from under my table at a restaurant. This is back when I kept wish I had a lot of wishful thinking and I just kept putting her in bad situations. And we we just shut down everything and we got a specialist and started over. We're like, okay, she can't do anything that you want her to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's so hard to accept. You know, it was, it was interesting just a little bit with my daughter. I just kept her home because if we went to the grocery store, she'd be up all night crying. She was mm-hmm. so overstimulated. She couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So we stopped going to family things. We stopped going out with friends. And I'm, I'm like the biggest extrovert ever. Mm-hmm. And people started thinking I went insane. I had one friend who thought that I was just trying to hog my daughter, the baby, <laughs> or like, do you know? Who I, oh, you, oh, she just doesn't want to go to the social events. Have you met me? Of course mm-hmm. I do. I was so depressed. I lost a bunch of weight. I was just not doing well because every day was the same. Yeah. And there's only so much you can do in the house. And we could go for little walks and stuff, but not really. I couldn't join any mom groups. I It was so isolating. Mm. And... I felt that for you too, that it is really isolating because you can't do all the other things that, you know, Hey, let's go to the world. Let's go to the woods. And you're an outdoor, let's go, let's mm-hmm. go to all these new places type of person. And so am I, mm-hmm. I relate. I am thinking that right now, as you're saying that, because you know, that's yes, it sounds so similar. You know, it's this mix of being really angry that you're, that you're um, imprisoned, you know? Yes. It's this mix of shame that why can't I fix this? Or it's a reflection on my parenting ability. And then that third thing of people kind of look, give you the side eye, like, oh, come on. Is it that bad? Are you just hyper, you know, active? Are you, you know, overdoing it? Reactive. React, hyper reactive about it. And, you know, people don't believe you or they don't get it or, 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 you know, they, yeah. So it's, that was me for, oh my gosh, I was just in it. And, um, 
yeah, I wasn't seeing my friends anymore. And they were thinking, wow, like she is so uh, obsessed about her dog. But, you know, the, the, we, there is a point in the book where we decide, you know, maybe this dog is too sensitive for the world. Maybe she's a danger. You know, when she ran into traffic, this was in Carmel, she was, she was running uphill on the center line of two lanes going the same way she was running the uphill between them and people were coming up the crest of the hill and slamming on their brakes and we were running after her i to this day am so thankful she did not cause an accident or hurt anybody or get hurt herself and while we were watching it was just amazing uh twist it just amazing luck in that situation but that's a perfect example of how serious the issue is in, in just the mundane parts of it, too. You know, yeah. that was the best way to convey uh, why I wrote a whole book about this. Because as I was writing it, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, people are going to think this is just some privileged white lady who's got a difficult puppy. And you know, why should I read this? And. I really hear what you're saying. It is hard to explain how all encompassing this is and that it is real and that um, it, it requires a complete outlook change on, on our part in order to get through it. And I have to say, I was really pissed at your friend who was <laughs> taking care of your dog and you said, do not take my dog out. Yeah. And then she took her, your dog out with her three other dogs. And yeah. I'm like, even if it was just your one dog, that's what pisses me off to be so invalidated. Yeah. I, well, to my friend's credit, um, I uh, lived in the same building. It was her building with two, two flats in San Francisco for five or seven years. And uh, bef- so she knew my previous dogs and would take them out all the time. And so she, she had sort of a connection with me and my animals and uh, Stella did have a little bit of shyness and she worked with Stella and helped her with that. And so I can kind of see why she took Edie. Uh, It made perfect sense. So I wasn't upset. I was actually more worried for her because uh, Edie in in this part of the book, Edie gets scared, and um, this friend is very petite. She's a ballerina, and uh, pulls her down, and and that went into the thinking of like, you know, what what if Edie hurts somebody? And um, so I understood, but it does go to what we were just saying. Like even people who know us really well can't believe what we're saying about our children and our pets, you know, because it is hard to believe. And it's also why for you and me, it was so difficult too, because I kept going through the, the same, like, come on dog, get over it. Like, this is so ridiculous. Like, uh, an example will be a dog door. It took, it took Edie eight months to learn how to go through a dog door. You know, it's just, So we can't, ourselves, we can't believe it, you know? So I understand why other people really don't believe it. But also, yes, like, especially strangers, when I'm walking by on a path and I'll say, you know, please don't pet my dog or, you know, people come to the house and my dog is cowering and they keep trying to pet her. 
And I, and I say, just don't ignore, please ignore her. And she'll come to you if she wants to, but they keep trying. Cause it's hard to believe that a dog doesn't see your kind heart. Right. Or, Oh, right. I'm really good with dogs. I'm sure you are, but you've never met this one. And I'm, they don't, people don't listen. And it, it's, it's the same reason why we inside, we don't either at first. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really tough and it's, it's so incredibly different and it, it's such a challenge. Once you have had a wonderful dog, a life without one is a life diminished. That's a quote by author Dean Coots, and I couldn't agree more. I want my wonderful dogs to live as long as possible, and what they eat plays a huge role in their health and longevity. Kibble is full of seed oils that wreak havoc on our dog's health. They damage their microbiome, which affects digestion, oral health, their skin and coat, and more. And that's why I feed my dog Benji Yumwoof. Their air-dried food is GMO-free and has an inflammation-reducing recipe with omega-3 and coconut oil. It's all the benefits of fresh food without the fridge, carbs, fillers, seed oils, and other inflammatory ingredients you see in other brands. Yum Woof obsessively crafted a healthy, low-carb food with humanely raised USDA meat, eggs, and other non-GMO superfoods that my dog loves. Try the number one air-dried dog food for gut health for 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. That's 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. Go to www.yumwoof.com. That's www.yumwoof.com. You and your dog will be so glad you did. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. One of the things we ended up doing because of Edie is we ended up leaving the city. And it was so many people, we finally found a really good vet um, who told us, uh, who helped us um, understand that this is going to be a lifelong process. She helped us um, get Edie on Prozac, which yes, actually actually works. She's on a 20 oh, milligrams great. a day. And we notice the days we forget to give it to her, she's hypervigilant. You know, she's barking at the birds, you know, so um, that takes the edge off. It just gives her a moment, like she'll hear a slam door, she'll stop and think about it before. And then she'll 
she'll come to me or she'll be fine before she would just run flee because she her flight is off the charts oh yeah she runs and then thinks about it which is really dangerous but um we had always wanted to um move to Carmel Valley when she retired from the police department and we had about two or three years to go but because of this so many people said you've got a country dog she can't handle the stimulation of San Francisco um and totally agreed um so we looked we started kind of play looking and of course found something in two weeks and and put in an <laughs> offer and got it in two days and they were like okay now what so we lived apart for about a year and then um she ended up retiring early because covid hit and uh moving here though Edie really really blossomed she met four or five dogs on the street that um became her friends and sort of showed her how to take a walk on our little rural road. And so she can take hikes now, you know, isolated hikes. Um, We have been able to take her to the beach for very short sessions and she can now handle a pretty busy Carmel beach um, for about, you know, got her up to 40 minutes, you know, so it's now we, yeah, we just know how she learns. So we don't, force her into situations and we have plan B's and backups. And if she can't do something that we got all excited about, we're like, okay, you know, like we're not putting any judgment on it. That was the problem. It used to be like right. failure. And now it's just like pivot. So that's, that's how we roll now. And we're much happier here in the country and oh, I bet everything's better. And it's because of this, dog that was quote-unquote such a problem like she made everything a lot better well you know I'm glad you brought up failure because I was going to bring that up too I think you really saw it as a failure you took it personally because you've always kicked ass in your life right I mean because of your childhood you've had to really push and be strong and you know be competitive and talk to us a little bit about that oh god Yes. Um, you know, I, I had to parent myself and take care of myself. I mean, I was that kid in high school who knew that college was the only way I was going to get out of my screwed up family situation. So I studied like crazy. I turned my papers in early. I was such an overachiever. Um, I, I was in four different sports every year in high school. I like, I knew you had to have a resume. And to me, this was a lifeboat. This wasn't just like, if I didn't get into college, I was stuck. Um, so, and, and my family had $0. So I needed, I needed to be impressive at a very young age. And I just pushed, 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 pushed. And, uh, got to college. I got on the rowing team, which is like the most punishing murderous sport of a sport. So I'm up at four 30 every morning. Um, and then I decided to become a journalist because obviously I became a great observer of people. Right. And, um, as as that kind of family, but that's a competitive profession. You know, even, even you have to get, break the story first and it's even competitive within the newsroom and I'm on a competitive rowing team. And, you know, I always win because I have to win and not because I'm good at anything. It's like, I will kill myself to win. And so 
when I was, when Edie came along, I'm like, well, why can't I fix this? I just like work harder, work harder, read more books, call in more specialists, talk to a, a dog medium, get, try this hemp thing and that calming jacket. And I, I bought every God dang thingy majiggy, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was like a whole tribe of fearful dog people. And, um, you know, I, I threw everything at it, which also was a little bit of a mistake because then I didn't know which thing was working. Right. Right. But, um, yeah. So that is also why I love my dog is that she stopped me from being that person too. <laughs> I'm like, ah, yeah. that didn't work. You know what? It's so, um, she was a, a major mellower in my life for sure. You know, when you were talking about trying the different things, when you were working with the trainer, Sarah, I got overwhelmed for you because she's like, okay, so you're going to need to get Edie used to these sounds, but they have to be each one individual, mm -hmm. all of the things you're like, okay, well, there's like 20 things. Okay. So you're going to have a motorcycle and you're going to play it at the lowest and then go a little more. And I'm like, oh my God, they have to. So of course you were like, I'm just going out. To, we're going to try and go out to eat and put her in the corner and hope everything works out. Cause mm -hmm. it's overwhelming the amount of stuff that they wanted you to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was, I was, um, yeah, that was a sound desensitization app. And there's all, and it's, it was, I think it was called pup school. It's a pretty cool thing. But there are all these things that dogs are afraid of and you can choose them like a drill and, and play it and then give your dog treats when they remain calm. But the trick is just trying to – I had to learn to read my dog's body language. I, I didn't have to really read the other dogs. They just obeyed, per, you know. But um, the trick for me was trying to figure out what – and this is kind of interesting, like what are some of her signs of getting scared and then uh, stop the sound? Like you had to stop the sound before she got to that scary place. And it's hard to tell if she's getting there, moving up. It was really difficult. It was really complicated. I understood how it's supposed to work and it looks good on paper. But for me, it was it was hard. But now, I mean, when my dog starts to drool when she starts to do that big crocodile yawn with a snap at the end and when she shakes like she has water on her that's all signs that she's getting up there you know yeah it's the tail going down that's the obvious one but uh she has different ones you know and she'll kind of like back up and prance and back up a little bit and um lower her head and look away and um the, I can see when it's coming now, but the beautiful thing is when she flees and she doesn't do it very much anymore, but when she does, she runs to me. She doesn't just blindly run. Oh, so that's that wonderful. is the, that is the most, yeah, that's the most amazing feeling. And and then I know how to calm her down. So she's found her safe space and that's, that's all I need. Oh, I am yeah. so glad. You know, another issue that you brought up in the book, which I thought, oh my gosh, I went through this with my husband. He gets to go to work and I'm home doing Groundhog Day. <laughs> and it was so complicated. And you're resentful. They come home and they're like, hey, hon, how's it going? You're like, it's fine. Uh, yeah. You know, and then you're resentful for them. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. 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 The the book is also a relationship book. You know, it's it's a, it's about a couple and how they deal with something together. And um, uh, I don't mean to be, uh, 
please don't take this the wrong way. But uh, I thought I found humor in it in hindsight, not when it was happening, that we had sort of settled into this very hetero role. Right. You know, with two women. And, you know, she's going to her job as a cop. And I'm at home with our being, I won't want to say child. And, um, you know, she comes home, you know, I've been stuck in my yoga pants in the house all day, you know, running through these exercises with my dog, these calming exercises where I'm supposed to snap in front of her, clap in in a circle around her. And if she's calm, give her treats. Like I'm following the behaviorist recommendations. And here I am like singing and running in a circle on my dog all day. And I'm not, and I'm not, getting in my writing done and it's making me anxious. And so I'm just in a crap mood when she comes home and she comes home, gets to play with the puppy. And I am so envious that I just, yeah, same. I'm like snappy, you know? Yeah. And, and so it, there are some scenes in the book where, you know, she, my wife is, you know, just not reading me or, or reading the, reading the room. And, you know, she's, she's done nothing wrong, but, I, I finally say, like, I lash out, and, like, you have got to help me. And um, she ends up getting, well, she's the boss. She gives herself permission, but she creates puppy day at her office on Fridays. <laughs> so that's a whole other, like, hilarious yes. situation. It, it, uh, I won't talk about what happens. But, yeah, Edie starts going to the police department on Fridays. That's good. Now, did people tell you, because I'll be honest, even though I'm like, you shouldn't tell people, they don't understand. Part of me was like, what if you got a second dog to play with Edie, get her super tired, and then you can take that dog out with Jen, it seemed like a no starter or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I kept, that was another um, suggestion that at some of the specialists and vets and, and friends and, and me, I was like, well, let's get another one. And uh I, I think, I still think it would be a good idea, but Jen is really like, she, yeah, I think it, there's the fear that we would double the trouble. Um, there's also just the double the everything, you know, our house is not that large and, you know, but so yeah, I I think I fantasize about it, but I want to try it without actually doing it. Um, but she really she really doesn't even want to try it. So she, so her comeback is always, well, you know, let's just take her down the street to play with her boyfriend. She's got a boyfriend named Chase. So so yeah, she sees her buddies every week, several times a week. Um, oh, good. We asked the dog psychic. Uh, if she, if she would like a buddy, and the dog psychic said that Edie said um, maybe, but I want it to be my house, and I want you guys to be my people. So um, I'll just go with that. Like she wants friends, but she doesn't want to share us. Yeah, that was really interesting. <laughs> I actually interviewed a woman who wrote a whole book about her beautiful, sweet, deaf pit bull Celeste. And how an a, animal communicator really, really helped her. So I'm just putting that out there. It was really mm-hmm. interesting. One of the things that I was wondering is when you learned about that puppies can have PTSD. I read a book called From Fearful to Fear Free. Marty Becker, I think, is the lead on it. There's like five vets who wrote it together. And oh, it was an audiobook. I listened to it. But uh 
that was the first time I had heard that um, some the, that puppies can be born fearful, but it's because something might have happened in utero, or there's some other ways. But basically, that um, something could have scared the mother, and she could have shot like cortisol, adrenaline into all the puppies when they were born. I mean, sorry, before they were born. And, or, um, she could have been sick. She could have eaten something. She could have been injured. Like something could have happened to the mom or when she was very, very little, um, and still in the puppy pack, she could have seen something happen to the mother or one of the other puppies that scared mm-hmm. her and set her on that path to like build that neural pathway for fear. So that I found really interesting. Um, and I did uh, call the breeder and ask if he knew anything like that. He didn't. Um, I will say that at some of my book events, I have had people who have gotten puppies from the same person and say that they also have fear. So, um, oh. yeah, I, I don't know uh what what i am just i don't know what's going on but i imagine that this breeder is not looking into lines and not stopping breeding the ones that are breeding fearful puppies so um i I, yeah i i would say my biggest mistake and in my words of wisdom would be if you go the breeder route definitely find someone who has papers who can tell you who the the sire and the mother are and you can meet puppies from those dogs um, and just really do your research Uh, because you can get great dogs from breeders. I I have once before and it was, it was in that case, the one before you would go, we went to look at the puppies and then the breeder would choose which puppy goes to your house and you'd fill out a big form about your lifestyle, right? So if, do you have kids? Do you work a lot? You know, where, where do you live? What's your house like? The second time I did it, there's really no questions asked. And that should have been a, a clue as well. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I was, I was just too impulsive. But, you know, I'm here I'm saying I was too impulsive. In hindsight, I needed a neurodiverse puppy to help me evolve and mature as a person. So... In hindsight, it all worked out. But um, if you do not need that um, personal Lesson. growth, <laughs> then do your research um, or, you know, rescue a puppy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I am so happy we got to talk because, again, your book just blew me away. Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be Brave. There's so much that people are going to get out of it, you know, and I think sharing your personal stories and your wife's personal stories growing up about your childhood and then how you can change as a person and, and get stronger. You know, what, what is it? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. You're really strong. Thank you. I really thank you for saying that. I, I was trying to write the book that I couldn't find when I was going through this. And I was like, where are the other people who are um, in my same position? And, you know, I found a lot of, um, books written by vets and experts about training and, and what to do. But I, and I wrote, and I found a lot of books about 
dogs who helped people overcome depression or addiction or divorce. But I didn't find the one, this one. So that's why I wrote it. So thank you. Tell us all the ways we can find you. Ah, um, you can, I have my website, um, MeredithAMA.net. And on Instagram, uh, Loving Edie has her own. It's at Loving Edie. And uh, let's see, Twitter, Meredith May SF. And then Facebook is author Meredith May. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic, Meredith. I'm so glad you came on. And if people want to see my good boys past and present, you can follow me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Lisa Davis MPH. And while you're checking out Dog-Eared, you got over a thousand episodes of Health Power. So you can get yourself healthy, get the best for your dogs, find out about some great books like Meredith, and keep coming back. Thanks so much. <laughs>